Morning, everyone. Lucian Freud is considered by lots and lots of people to be the greatest living artist in the world. Uh, Freud's now in his 80s, late 80s, and his paintings are some of the most sought after on the planet, uh, selling for anything up to $33 million each. Unfortunately, though, a little while ago, uh, Sotheby's of London had to admit that two of their workers had accidentally destroyed one of Freud's paintings. Uh, what had happened was that while these two guys were unpacking paintings for an upcoming auction, they had mistaken one of Freud's paintings for a piece of packing foam. And so thinking that it was simply the packing between two other paintings, they had fed it through a crushing machine. And so it was that a painting worth over a million dollars was smashed into over a million pieces. All because... Two blokes couldn't tell the difference between what was valuable and what wasn't valuable. Now, if you've been here for the last few weeks, you would appreciate that that's pretty much the predicament that the Corinthian church is in when Paul wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians. Here is a church full of people who are failing to recognise what is valuable from what is not valuable. And they are getting themselves into a terrible mess because of it. So in Corinth, they think human wisdom, they think human cleverness, they think eloquence and style are valuable. And they're starting fights over those sorts of things. Some are saying, I follow Paul, others are saying, I follow Apollos, still others, I follow Cephas. And there's quarrelling and division about who's the best, who's the cleverest, who's the most gifted. And Paul has been saying, guys, those things aren't valuable. They're not the sort of things that save people. God saves people through the simple message of Christ crucified, which God himself convicts us of through his spirit. And so it is the message of the gospel which is the important thing. And leaders like Paul and Apollos, they're simply servants whom God has given different tasks to so as to pass the gospel on. And in fact, as we heard last week, it's the whole church and not just the leaders. It's the whole church which is the precious thing because the church is God's temple in whom, in which God's spirit lives. And so it's been for three chapters now that Paul has been trying to get the Corinthian church to see that all their bickering and fighting is foolishness because it's a result of them failing to recognise things that aren't valuable from things that are valuable. Now, friends, into all of this, Paul has one last thing that he wants to straighten out before he leaves this topic of divisions within the church. Next Sunday, Paul is going to take up a whole new issue that needs attention in the church. But before he gets to that whole new issue next week, there's one last related thing that Paul wants the Corinthians to see the true value of. He wants them to understand the value of gospel faithfulness. Because understanding the value of gospel faithfulness will prevent them. In fact, it will prevent us from wrecking God's precious church over stuff that just doesn't matter. Verse 1 of our reading. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the secret things of God. 
Now, friends, this opening sentence is very much picking up on, it's very much a summary of what we saw last week, that Paul is a servant of Christ within Christ's church. Mind you, the word that he's using for servant here is actually a different one from the word that he used in the previous chapter. The word he's using here is a much more graphic word because Paul really wants to amp up the force of his point now. The word that he uses in verse 1 for servant was originally used for the bottom rowers of those big ships that used to uh, be around in the time of ancient Rome. You've probably seen them in the movies. You know those ships where they used to have multiple rows of rowers, oarsmen, on each side of the ship so as to push it along the water. Well, the big boats had two rows, two or three rows of oarsmen. And you can imagine that the bottom level of oarsmen, that was really the disgusting place to be. It was the hottest, it was the most cramped, it was the least ventilated, food and sweat and human refuse from the rowers above you would just fall on top of you. It was a disgusting place to be. And Paul is saying that's how he sees himself as an apostle. It's humble, self-sacrificing, methodical service. It's certainly not the pompous, showy view of leadership that the Corinthians seem to be into. He's a servant. And what's his role? Well, verse 1 again, he is one entrusted with the secret things of God. Again, that's drawing on stuff he's already said. It's a reference to the gospel, the message of Christ crucified. Back in chapter 2, Paul's described the gospel as the secret wisdom of God. And so Paul's starting point this morning in verse 1, he's effectively saying to the church, hey guys, listen up, here's what I've been saying so far. I'm a humble servant of Jesus, entrusted with the gospel. And it's leading on to his big point in verse 2. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Now friends, have a look at that verse. It's pretty much the centre point of this passage. Here is a new, here is an important thought that Paul is now introducing into this whole discussion about divisions within the church. That as a servant of Jesus, entrusted with the message of Jesus, what is expected of him is faithfulness. What is expected of him is trustworthiness which makes complete sense with what he's already said. I mean, if it's the message of the cross that God uses to save people, then it's crucial to have that message faithfully handled, faithfully passed on. But friends, the big thing to notice with this point, the crucial distinction to make in our minds with this, is that faithfulness is different to results. Trustworthiness is different to outward success outward achievements. See, verse 2 does not say, it does not say that what is required of Paul is to have converted lots of people. It does not say that what is required of Paul is to have planted big, impressive, humanly speaking churches. It does not say that what is required of Paul is to be really clever and entertaining in the way he can speak or preach. It says what is required of him is self-effacing, faithfulness, to the gospel, which is tapping into, again, exactly something that he said last week, last week in chapter 3. Remember that image he used of he and Apollos as being farmers. Paul planting the seed, Apollos watering the seed, but God making it grow. Well, friends, if you think about it, a farmer can be incredibly faithful. 
A farmer can be incredibly committed to planting and watering at all the right times and doing it all diligently and correctly, but in itself that does not guarantee a big harvest. A flood can come, a drought can come, a fire can come, a cyclone can come, the markets can evaporate. Lots of things beyond the farmer's control may mean that no matter how faithful they are, they may not see big results at all. That's exactly the point that Paul is getting at here. Because the Corinthians sound like they're into big results. They're into outward showiness. They're into outward impressiveness. They're they're into human wisdom and eloquence. And and Paul is wanting to see that's not how God measures success at all. You're valuing the wrong thing. What matters is faithfulness not spectacular results. What matters is trustworthiness, not necessarily impressive triumphs. This is very different to the way the world measures success. It's very different to the way even many Christians measure success. So often we think of Christian success even as what gifts you have, what abilities you have. We think of a successful church of one with lots of people and big budgets and nice buildings. It's not the way God thinks. This is not what God values. What God values, heck, is for someone to be sitting in the bottom of a boat amongst all the sweat and the rubbish, tucked away out of sight, perhaps no one's seeing them at all, but what God values is they just keep rowing. And so as to ensure that the Corinthians don't miss this point, Paul now spends the rest of the chapter spelling this out with two important implications for them. The first one being that the Corinthians need to learn to judge nothing. Look at verse 3. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by human any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed point, uh, time. Uh, wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's heart. Paul's basically saying in those verses that in the end, it's God's opinion of faithfulness that matters most. First of all, it's the Lord who judges me. In other words, look, you guys in Corinth, I, I know some of you think I'm a dud because I'm not very good with words. I'm not as good as Apollos was. Who cares what you think? Who cares what I think of myself? It's faithfulness to the gospel that matters most and therefore that's something that we need to leave to God to judge. Verse 5, he'll expose the motives of men's heart. See, that's the thing about gospel faithfulness really. In a sense, faithfulness is quite an internal thing. It can be a very uh, private thing. It's a motivational sort of thing. Faithfulness to the gospel can actually be much harder to see than other outward things. My preaching this morning, as I'm talking to you now, am I being motivated by a faithfulness to the gospel and God's word or am I being more motivated by the fact that I can pretty well guess what you'd like to hear and so I'm just saying the things to make you happy, make myself look good and to get a few compliments after the talk. It's hard for you to actually get in my head and see that. So Paul says, leave it to God to do the judging when it comes to faithfulness. And especially don't, stop ju- don't start judging people on stuff that doesn't matter at all. 
Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Polis for your benefit, he says, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you won't take pride in one man over and against another. See, the trap that the Corinthians were falling into was to go beyond what was written. In other words, they're taking things way beyond what God has said as being important. They're looking at the outward results. They're looking at uh, giftedness with words. They're looking at cleverness. They're looking at perhaps who is the person who will attract more people to their church. All the sort of stuff that you can easily see on the outside, all the sort of stuff that's very easy to pass judgment on in a sense, but remember, all the sort of stuff that God actually isn't into. And so Paul is saying to the Corinthians, guys, if it's gospel faithfulness that, that, is, that matters most, then you've got to leave it to God to judge that and you've definitely got to stop judging others on stuff other than that. All of which leads to a second implication that he wants to give to them. A quite astonishing application if you think about it because he now urges the church to imitate him in having a lifestyle of faithfulness irrespective of what it brings. Verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You become kings and that without us. How I wish you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We're weak, you are so strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. Now Paul's tone in those verses is very definitely sarcastic. But it's not in a nasty way. He says down in verse 14 that he's not doing this to hurt them, he's doing this to warn them as a loving father. Because you see, in worldly terms, evidently the Corinthian church were pretty upmarket. Maybe they did have a nice building. You read the account of how the church was formed in, in, in Acts 18. Sounds like there were lots of respected, clever people in the community within this church. Probably had plenty of money. On the other hand, by worldly standards, the Apostle Paul was marked by poverty, dishonour, imprisonments. If the Apostle Paul was around nowadays, I half suspect that he wouldn't even get invited to speak at, say, the Katoomba Conventions. He admits he's not, a good, he's not good with words, he's not a flashy speaker. In verse 13, Paul even says that he's become the scum of the earth, the refuge of the world. And yet quite provocatively he's saying in verse 16, therefore I urge you, imitate me. Now think about that. Here is a poverty-stricken, homeless, persecuted guy, keeps getting thrown out of town, keeps getting thrown in and out of prisons and he's writing to a socially respectable, upmarket, high-profile church and he's saying, imitate me? In what sense? Why? Well, it's because Paul's lowliness in life is a testimony to his faithfulness to the gospel. That even though to the world, Paul is like the scum mark on the bath that's there when the water goes out, to God, that scum mark is a mark of success. For the hardships that he has been through are all because of his faithfulness at telling people about Jesus. It's because he preaches the gospel without fear or favour that he's been beaten up and imprisoned and made fun of and lied about, he's lost friends, he has little if any money. Yet from God's perspective, his hardships, 
His loneliness are the true signs of success because they testify to his faithfulness. And so in urging the Corinthians to imitate him, he is calling on them to be faithful to the gospel irrespective of what it brings them. Don't seek popularity. Don't seek showiness and professionalism. Don't don't chase the large crowds and the prestige. Don't run after the big budgets or all those other things that the world associates with success. Imitate me, says Paul. Imitate me by faithfully telling people about Jesus, being a faithful servant to the gospel. And even if you get beaten up for your troubles, the bruises you carry will be the signs of success. This is very different to the way the Corinthians were thinking. It's really different to the way we often think. And in the end, that makes it a very, very helpful passage. Because, you know, you and I aren't Paul. Uh, There are certain distinctives to the Corinthian church that make this all quite specific. But there's an important lesson embedded here for us. It is the lesson of valuing what is truly valuable from God's perspective. It is the lesson of valuing humble faithfulness over outward results. See, it's interesting over the years to um, see how sometimes other people take an interest in DPC. Uh, Al and Wayne and I have been asked to speak at and visit other churches, present workshops and seminars on rural ministry, write articles, explain what we do here at DPC, because at least in some circles, DPC has a reputation of being successful. Now, I, I feel a real awkwardness in saying that because that reputation has largely been built on godless reasons. Over the years, we've grown numerically. We have a budget that not all that long ago people would never have dreamed of. We have a lovely building. That's the envy of others who visit and who feel restricted because they have more traditional, less functional buildings. And at least in some circles, people think we're a success. I've had visitors come and talk to me over morning tea and they say, Guy, you must be doing something right. They look around at all the children and the young people and they say, you you, you must be doing something right here. That's not a sign that we're doing anything right here. And look, please don't get me wrong here. I'm all for growth. I mean... In every sense, we want every man, woman and child in Dubbo to know and follow Jesus. And so there's a sense in which we're not content until DPC is 40,000 strong. But we also need to understand that at another level, that is not what God requires of us. What God requires of us, what God values in us, is faithfulness. And it'll be up to him to give the growth, if he chooses. And in that sense, I sometimes wonder whether there are brothers and sisters in small, struggling churches, in little one-horse towns, whom God would consider far more successful. Little, little while, oh, and actually a while ago now, I was at a regional Presbyterian function at a church west of here. Uh, we were sitting around at trestle tables in an old timber hall, uh, certainly not as flash as this building, and I was next to an elderly man who was very quiet, certainly not the centre of attention on the table at all. His voice was soft, seemed a little unsure of himself as he spoke, 
but as he chatted, as we chatted, he told me about the Sunday school that he'd been teaching in for the last 46 years. And he shared with me his fears that sometimes it doesn't seem like anything's being achieved. That you teach these little ones about Jesus and they grow up and they leave town and you never see them again and you never hear from them again. And he was telling me how there's been times that he's been just tempted to give it up. But he hadn't. And for 46 years, that guy's been plugging away. And I actually wondered as I drove home that night whether I'd actually been talking to one of the great ones of the kingdom because of his steadfast faithfulness. Because it's really easy to be faithful when you're seeing results, eh? When there's obvious fruit for your labour, being faithful isn't too much of a strain. But when you're not seeing things happen, when it's not going as you would have hoped, it's really hard to keep going. Maybe some of you know that. Maybe you've, maybe you've gone out on a limb and you've talked to your family and your friends about Jesus and you never seem to get anywhere and so you just feel like shutting up. You just stop inviting friends to things. Maybe being a Christian and following Jesus has actually left you lonelier, poorer, busier. Perhaps as a Christian you are far more tired than you would have otherwise been. The Apostle Paul would say, that's okay. In fact, that's great. Because as far as God is concerned, the thing that matters most is not how many friends you've got. It's not how much money you've got. It's not how much free time you've got. What God values is gospel faithfulness. And I'd love that to be an encouragement to you this morning because, as I said earlier, a lot of gospel faithfulness, it's not flashy. It doesn't have to be. A lot of gospel faithfulness, no one else sees. They don't need to. You know the hard yards of struggling with a temptation in your thought world? No one sees that. That The personal Bible reading, the, the quiet times of prayer, no one sees that usually. The, the one-on-one meetings with someone during the week to read the Bible with them and so forth. Good on you for doing that, but usually there's not a lot of people around to notice that and it can all seem pretty ordinary at the time. But friends, the life of gospel faithfulness often is ordinary. But that does not make it any less important to God. Because on that last day, Jesus will not greet us on that last day with the words, well done, clever and outwardly gifted brother. He will not meet us with the words, well done, eloquent, high-achieving sister. He'll put his arm around us and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. He will say that to you, won't he? I'll pray. Father, thank you for reminding us of the things in your word uh, that really matter. Thank you for reminding us, for liberating us from the burden of uh, outward success, chasing results. Thank you for liberating us from the way the world thinks. And thank you for reminding us of the way you think and the things that you value.
Father, help us to strive to be faithful servants. Even when we don't see results, even when it's hard, even when it costs us, uh, actually help us to imitate our dear brother, the Apostle Paul, uh, so that we will indeed be greeted by, by you on that last great day as a faithful servant. It is in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.